Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We're still talking Friedman's rankings on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online in the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Uh, fun question for you here, Matt. Or we'll we'll see. Maybe you won't think that it is that fun, but uh, let's say that you can only eat one of these three types of cuisines for the rest of your life. Which are you choosing? Italian, Mexican, or fast food. And I actually don't know that you particularly like any of these, but I'm going to make the assumption you enjoy all three. Okay. Um, I have to ask a clarifying question. Of course. Under the Mexican food rubric, can I uh, sort of change that or adapt it just a little bit to Tex-Mex? <laughs> sure, I'll give that to you. I was thinking that you were going to ask if Taco Bell could be covered under there as a fast food under Mexican. No, I was going to no. get excited. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm easily going with Mexican food. Okay. Uh, you know, born and raised in Texas. So like Mexican food is my favorite type of food. Um, one of the hardest things about living in the Northeast for a chunk of time was that there, uh, there really weren't many good Mexican food places there. So, uh, yes, easily Mexican food. Although uh, I do have a respect for Italian. Yeah. Food. Uh, I, I do like chicken parm quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I had a friend from San Diego who, when, uh, she like was up in Boston, just could not stop complaining about how bad the Mexican food was. So I don't think I've ever actually had good Mexican food. So I look forward to one day eventually getting like real authentic Mexican food. Yeah. Um, Border Cafe, you might be able to find that place. Yep. Um, that is pretty good. All right. I will have to seek that out. Um, can I ask you a final question about food, though? Yeah. How do you feel about fast food, and do you have a particular uh, or like a favorite fast food place? It's been a long time since I've had fast food. Um, I don't know, like uh, Taco Bueno, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, not not Taco Bell quite as much, but, uh, you know, um, Whataburger, it's a, you know, I guess a question as to whether you would consider that fast food or not, but, uh, I'm not really, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not versed in either of these locations that much. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can do fast food, but, uh, it's been a long time since I've done it. Okay. Um, perfectly fair. And on that note, I have an FFPC stat attack for you, which is Drew Brees sits atop all other passers with the highest historical distribution score in our 2020 range of outcomes app. FFPC is the home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. 
All right, Matt, with that in mind, your thoughts on Breeze finishing strongly this season, as I said last episode, the tool is looking at the most two recent seasons and really likes Breeze in your rankings. He's more modestly ranked. Um, what for you kind of pushes him outside of the upper echelon of, of fantasy passers now? So I like Breeze, um, but he doesn't throw the ball as often as he used to. And uh, I mean, he doesn't run at all. So that's pretty much it. Uh, and like, there's this nuisance of Taysom Hill who comes in and, uh, you know, cannibalizes some touches sometimes near the goal line. It's just, you know, like Drew Brees is not getting the opportunities he used to get. Um, so I think it's pretty hard to put him in the top six. Like, I think there's a clear top tier of Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. And then I'd say there's a tier of four guys under that. However you order it, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. And then, you know, after that, you can make some arguments about who should go where. But uh, I think it's pretty hard to put Breeze above any of those top six guys just because of the rushing ability that they have. But that said, you know, Breeze is available depending on where you look, you know, for his MVP odds at 25 to 1. And that's a little bit intriguing to me. Uh, Breeze has never won the award, and I still think he has enough arm left, and he has the weapons around him where if things click right, I could see him actually winning the award this year. You know, Michael Thomas is entering his prime. He has Emmanuel Sanders now as a strong, uh, or at least a competent number two wide receiver. Traquan Smith could potentially develop and, you know, be a, a field stretcher who is able to break some long touchdowns. Jared Cook is an above average tight end. And then Alvin Kamara, one of the best pass catching backs in the league. Like it would be hard to find a better group of five pass catching weapons for a uh, for a quarterback. You know, so if things just kind of click right, I could see uh, an outsized season from Breeze where he finally wins the MVP. Do you have a sense of if narratives really do kind of drive who wins the MVP? Because I feel like if there's a case for so. a narrative, you can make a strong one for Breeze. Yeah, I mean, I, that's part of it. I think narratives are hugely important for MVP. Um, you know, early in the season last year, that's why I was on Lamar Jackson over Russell Wilson. Even though Wilson was having like a very efficient campaign, it was like, He's not really doing anything different than what he's done, except he's just doing it a little more efficiently. Whereas Lamar Jackson is making people like rethink the way they evaluate the quarterback position. Like that was very clear. And so always when I'm looking at these players, I'm not necessarily thinking about like, what are the odds of this guy having a season good enough? to win the award or like the odds of his team doing well enough. Although like I think about that a little bit, but the bigger thing is if this guy does well enough, does he have a story? Like, is there a narrative that could carry him to the award? And I think we could see that with breeze because this is probably going to be his last season. The saints have been, I'd say the best team in the NFC for the past three years, but they haven't been able to make it out of the playoffs. You know, and so if if Brees has a big season and if, you know, they're able to lock up the number one seed. Yeah. I mean, I think Brees wins the MVP award. I like it. Um, as far as Baker Mayfield, now we talked about his two wide receivers uh, earlier in the week. As far as he goes from a fantasy perspective, 
there any chance, and I, it's funny, I actually wrote this in the show sheet of him bouncing back. Uh, however, though, on a uh, points-per-game basis, I believe he only finished as the wide receiver, excuse me, as the quarterback 17 back in 2018, finished 20 last season. So that bounce back wouldn't be moving him too far ahead. But you take my point. From a fantasy perspective, are there any chances that we see him being a QB1 in 2020? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he has the weapons for it. Um, you know, it's a question about how uh, how pass, pass heavy his offense is going to be under, you know, new head coach Kevin Stefanski. But um, yeah, I mean, Mayfield certainly has the potential. Uh, he has the weapons. I could see him developing in his third season. And, you know, right now I have him ranked around quarterback 17. And uh, I don't think that's that unreasonable and also you know these guys like the difference between a mid-range qb2 and low-end qb1 is like very minimal uh and so yeah you could easily see him being drafted you know going off the board as like the quarterback 18 in your league and him finishing as the qb10 like that's very possible i would not be at all uh inclined to disagree with you there for the reasons that you said i mean i don't think that you really see or i don't foresee many situations in which he sits in at the top half of the qb1 conversation but uh, could certainly get his way back into the mix another thing that i found kind of interesting in looking through your rankings is you actually have kareem hunt ranked pretty highly um, for where people might expect him to go, Nick Chubb obviously is ranked pretty highly as well. How much of that goes back to expectations for Cleveland of having an offense that can support these two players or just the fact that there's kind of a unique situation in which they have two very good running backs? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And I mean, I should say, I think I'm around the consensus. If you uh, look at the you know FFPC ADP mm-hmm. tool at Rotoviz, you know, Kareem Hunt's going off the board as the number 31 running back. And I think that's around the vicinity of where I have him. And um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, due to multiple reasons. One of them you mentioned, uh, I am expecting that Cleveland offense to be a little bit better. Uh, Part of it is that I am expecting Kareem Hunt to have a built-in role. Uh, He's a very good pass catching back. Uh, And then another part of it is if we see Nick Chubb falter or suffer an injury like Kareem Hunt, like we know what he's capable of, you know, his rookie season, he was, I mean, wasn't he like the offensive rookie of the year or like, like he had, uh, he led the league in rushing. Like we know, we know what Kareem Hunt can do. And so if he's actually able to carve out for one reason or another, something more than just a supplementary role, he's going to be a, a top eight back. Um, I mean, that Kevin Stefanski offense is very uh, running back friendly. And so Kareem Hunt, you know, one way or another, I think he's someone uh, who has significant upside to outperform his ADP. You have Jimmy G ranked outside of the top 20. I don't think that should be surprising given that on a per game basis was QB 23 last season. Uh, if people were looking at the total numbers, they might see him in around quarterback 14. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, because they do have a cast with a decent uh, number of players right there. Um, in a two quarterback league, does Jimmy get 
any real interest from you in comparison to other players, given the fact that they now went out, they got another wide receiver. Uh, you know, it's a team that looks like they should be able to be competitive. You probably have the top receiving tight end um, from fantasy perspective this season. You also have some of the players like Debo Samuel getting a season older, maybe progressing in their careers, trending upward. Yeah, I am. It's weird because I'm not all that high on Jimmy Garoppolo, as you stated, like from a fantasy perspective, although I certainly don't mind having him, uh, especially in two quarterback leagues as a second quarterback or in best ball, getting him as the second quarterback. Uh, I actually like that because I do think that there is the potential for him to outperform his ADP pretty significantly. I think it's worth keeping in mind that he was productive in college. He sat for multiple years behind Tom Brady, but in the Patriot system, whenever we did see him, he was productive, whether that was the preseason or whether, you know, that was starting two games in place of Tom Brady in 2016. When we saw him at the end of the 2017 season, making his first starts with the 49ers, he was awesome. Uh, 2018, his season you know, was obviously impacted by injury, played only three games. So 2019 was literally his first year as a starter, like his first full season as a starter. Like people are kind of acting as if he's trash or like what we saw out of him automatically means that he's irredeemable. Like that was his first year as a starter. And he was actually pretty decent. Like he was one throw one throw away from being a Super Bowl hero. You know, like if he makes that throw in the Super Bowl to Emmanuel Sanders, like his life is completely different, and like everyone's perception of him is completely different. He quarterbacked a team to a thirteen and three record last year. And here's here's the I think even more important thing to keep in mind: it's not just that last year was his first full season as a starter. It was his first full season under Shanahan, like on the field, getting that experience. Matt Ryan looked really bad in his first year under Kyle Shanahan in 2015, right? And then it was 2016 where he had like his amazing MVP season. But if we just look and and sorry to go on about Jimmy Garoppolo, but this is, I think, a filibuster worth having. If you just look at the numbers of what Garoppolo has done in his 24 starts, 25 games total, uh, not counting playoffs, uh, with the 49ers, it's actually really similar to what Matt Ryan did in his two years under Kyle Shanahan. So Garoppolo, 67.6% completion rate. Matt Ryan, 67.9% completion rate. And it's worth remembering, like, this is Ryan as a, like, full-fledged veteran, right? This is just Garoppolo as a guy who's getting his NFL starting legs underneath him. Garoppolo, 8.4 yards per attempt. Matt Ryan, 8.3 yards per attempt. Jimmy Garoppolo, 5.2% touchdown rate. Matt Ryan, 5.1% touchdown rate. If... If the 49ers pass the ball a little bit more this year than they did last year, and if Garoppolo can take a step forward and have a 2016 Matt Ryan style progression within this Kyle Shanahan offense, 
he could legitimately win the MVP award. Like that is within his range of outcomes. That's not going to make him a high-end fantasy quarterback, but it's going to make him a very good fantasy quarterback. And like at 50 to one right now as an MVP candidate, he provides, I think, pretty significant value. All good points. It, it, it's uh, surprising, too, I think, when you actually look at the numbers. I mean, uh, 3,979 yards, 27 touchdowns. It's easy you know, to think that he could have been in that 4,000 with 27 touchdown range, only 13 picks. Um, a little bit better when you actually look at it on paper than it might have felt like. And as you said, very nearly a Super Bowl champion. We have a lot more to talk about, but before we do, let's take a quick moment for a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has X Chicago Bulls. Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Okay, Matt, let's talk about about some receivers uh who do you prefer alan robinson or juju smith schuster okay so looking at my rankings i actually have alan robinson ahead of juju which uh i feel like i was just bullied into that ranking uh in actuality i i want juju before a rob uh am i to assume though that it is closer you pretty decided that it's juju it's it's close it's close. I mean, I feel like the numbers point to uh, Robinson and my heart points to Juju. <laughs> I like it. Do you have any trepidation about uh, the Nick Foles, Allen Robinson connection, or do you assume that it has to be a step up over the Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson connection? I mean, it has to be better, right? Doesn't it have to be better <laughs> One would than, think. Than, than Trubisky? So, I mean, but it is still a new connection with the, you know, a quarterback. So, uh, I don't think you can take that for ground uh, for granted. You know, it's just the question of Juju looked really bad last year, but I think there are a ton of mitigating circumstances. We know what he's capable of doing with Ben Roethlisberger as his quarterback and, you know, what he's done before when he's played primarily in the slot. And I think that's where we're going to see him play most of this year. So I prefer Juju, um, but uh, it's very close. I completely hear you there. Uh, I do want to ask, I can remember you <laughs> questioning, uh, I'm assuming it might have been heading into last season where you, you were basically like, what if Trubisky is just Blake Bortles? Uh, who is better, Blake Bortles or Mitch Trubisky? Hmm. Or do you not I even care? Know. I think it might not even merit conversation. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say Bortles, yeah. but uh, I mean, that's that's hard to know, really. Right. Um, if you had to, and I'm going to kind of change up the question here, what would you say the percentage chance is that DJ Moore finishes inside of the top six in 2020 at the wide receiver position? Yeah, inside the top six. I probably put it under 5%, mm. around 5%, I think. No way. You it's, think it's higher? It's significantly higher than that, yeah. Um, 
I, I would put it at like 25%. So you think in one fourth of the seasons that play out, of the 2020 seasons that play out, in one fourth of those, we see DJ Moore finishing inside the top six? Okay, can we have a, a clarification here? Are you talking about points per game or total? Okay, fair. Let's say points per game. Okay, points per game. I think that knocks it down to, uh, let's say, like 15%. Okay, okay. But, um, you know, if he stays healthy, I like the chances of someone ahead of him on the list getting injured. Uh, and then, I mean, he had 1,200 yards last year in 15 games. Um, there's a chance that Teddy Bridgewater is better than the trash quarterbacks who were throwing <laughs> to him last year. Okay. You know, like that's, that's pretty much the thesis. Okay. Um, so that was kind of, and also yeah, here, yeah. here's one, one more part of this. What if Tom Brady is actually just not good anymore? Like, what are the chances of that? Because that actually might be the case. And if that's the case, both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are done for this year. Um, okay, I get that point. I would say that I don't think that there's, well, there's certainly some chance that Tom Brady is, is done. But do you think that like a completely done completely done Tom Brady well I guess if we're talking in the top six range um yeah but but let's just talk about that since you brought up let's say that Brady really is done and is now you know just a a very normal passer you know maybe like a fringe even starter under those conditions where would you expect Evans and Godwin to finish so if we knew going into the season that Brady's like you know the 37 38th best quarterback in the league whatever that approximates to in terms of actual playing ability where would you expect them to finish mm, like around wide receiver 18 okay like both of them right you know because it like that's the thing they're going to cannibalize each other and the only way it really makes sense to have both Godwin and Evans ranked this highly is if Brady is awesome and they are both very efficient and they just pass the ball a lot, which like all of that could happen. But I mean, I don't know. I think the odds are actually pretty decent that Brady isn't as good as people are expecting. That said, like I still have Godwin ranked six and Evan seven, but like. I should probably be a little more pessimistic about it. I guess I'm just saying like I can see the avenue for like DJ Moore improving just a little bit and for two of the wide receivers ranked ahead of him to massively underperform. Fair enough. Um, continuing along with wide receivers, you have Devonte Parker, late breakout star and ahead of Cooper Cup. I think that this might surprise some people. Um, here is your opportunity to make sense of that. Yeah, is uh is that aggressive? I mean, is that uh like inform me? Is that something that's like a, an aggressive like hot takey type of ranking? I guess I guess it is. I'm I think it's going the, to be uh, the FFPC. I, yeah, I think that's going to be viewed by a lot just because um you have now I have Cooper Cup very high in my early rankings. I think he's also in a situation that feels like it's more conducive to fantasy success and Parker uh, is tainted regardless, I think, of what he does. Unless we see another two seasons like he had last season, I think he's going to be viewed by a lot of people as tainted. How, okay, well, we'll get to the Parker tainted thing. Here's the thing with Cooper Cup. Yep. 
Um, as much as I like him, he is a fairly limited receiver in that he is clearly best when he's in the slot. And then last year, whenever they put him uh, on the perimeter, he just wasn't nearly as good. And so he could get a lot of targets this year because Brandon Cooks is gone and he could play in the slot if they use three wide receiver sets. But I think it's possible that we see uh, we see the Rams try to compensate for their lackluster offensive line by using more two tight end sets, right? Like they have Higby, they've expressed the desire to continue to develop Gerald Everett. Uh, I think they go two tight end sets a little more often than people are anticipating. And if that pushes Cooper Cup to the perimeter, then that is really bad news for him. So I like Cup, but um, I don't know. I'm just a little more pessimistic on him. And Devontae Parker, I don't, I mean, maybe he's tainted by people who were just burned by him for multiple seasons, but I'm still very optimistic. Um, he was just a a very dominant player in the second half of the season whenever Ryan Fitzpatrick was locked in as the starter, and when especially when Preston Williams was injured. I know Williams is going to come back at some point, but uh, he's coming off of an ACL injury. Like, I don't think we should assume that he's going to to be like the number one when he returns. I think Devontae Parker did enough last year to warrant that role. And I do think uh, Fitzpatrick is going to hold off uh, Tua for most of the season. So I'm just kind of thinking that what we saw last year, like minus some, uh, you know, some like risk of uncertainty and regression, that's what we see this year. My take on Devontae Parker is he's going to be the player that you manage to get in your like home league draft at a spot that you feel good about and you still might get people making fun of you for taking Devontae Parker that just weren't paying attention last season. Um the the items that you mentioned about him with those splits, um, I, I definitely think that um if we see similar situations this year, he he should perform very well. And I think it's even possible that um even when two is in, you still see Parker uh, putting up numbers, I think he might have been to some degree a prisoner of circumstance, and we finally got to see him in a situation that was going to be conducive to him having success last year. Uh, yeah, like this was, yeah, just yep. to touch on that, this was like his first year without Adam Gase. You know, like we saw what a number of other players, when freed from Adam Gase, have done. Um, Kenyon Drake last year, Ryan Tannehill last year. Jarvis Landry getting out of Miami, you know, like it's not a surprise to me that if you look at what other players have done and then you look at the talent Devonte Parker had entering the league that we finally see a season like this. And it's not as if it was like he had 150 targets and he had 1200 yards. He did it on 128 targets. Like that's super respectable. You know, like it's very easy to see him having 128 targets once again this upcoming season. As long as he's healthy, and I think as long as he has a quarterback who's willing to air it out to him, he has a significant chance of pretty much running back what he did last year. You know, the other thing as we talk about this and I'm thinking about, it's not like he was a player who had absolutely no record of ever having a good game here and there or kind of putting up a good performance. You know, if you think of players like Kevin White, I'm not sure I can recall any really good Kevin White performances, but Parker, this was just the first time he was able to string together a good season, you know, beginning to finish 
Um, so I think that does speak to the fact that though you may have wanted to completely write him off as dead, he was never actually that dead. We now get to see him prosper in an offense that's going to work for him. Um, the player that I do want to get your take on here um, that I've been very interested about, that's A.J. Green. I think you have him around your wide receiver 36. I think for me, A.J. Green is one of those players who's now reached the point that um, he is no longer going to be getting drafted on my teams in a position where I actually like need a player that I can rely on. Uh, should he be off people's radar entirely? Uh, do you still have any hope for him being a contributor? Yeah, I mean, I think as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a contributor, so... The big question is, does he stay healthy? All right, after the FFPC, he's going at uh, wide receiver 29. Uh, it looks like I have him ranked at wide receiver 33. So I'm a little below consensus, but I, I mean, I still think that uh, if he's healthy, he's the clear guy. Like, you know, apologies to Tyler Boyd and uh, <laughs> I mean, also to Sean Siegel, <laughs> who, who loves Tyler Boyd. Um, I honestly haven't been that impressed. Like, I feel like they've out of necessity given Boyd a lot of targets and production over the past two years. But I think, you know, once AJ green is there, he's the guy. And then, you know, I think it's T Higgins after that, but for this season, I do think AJ green is going to be roughly, you know, something close to what we've seen him be in the past, you know, minus the age and then minus a year off. I'm, I'm kind of concerned now. My, outlook on him I think is clouded by the fact that um I have been trying to trade AJ Green in Dynasty for like three seasons now and I've just never been able to find any package that I actually felt that great about so as a result I've just been watching you know the production slowly start to feel like it's it's uh getting less and less reliable and then misses all of last season and as a result I don't think that I can really make a rational um you know, statement about AJ Green. One more player I want to talk to you before we close out. That is Christian Kirk, you know, a player that has over the years uh, drummed up a fair amount of excitement. Of course, you now have DeAndre Hopkins there, bevy of other younger players, Kenyon Drake's added, Kyler Murray at quarterback. There's reasons to be excited about Arizona's offense. But with Hopkins there and what we've seen from Kirk at this standpoint, you know, it's really hard to push him beyond a wide receiver three type of player. And I think it's possible he falls outside of that range. Where do you have Kirk for 2020? I'm below consensus. Okay. Um, at FFPC, he's at wide receiver 39. I have him at like wide receiver 45. Um, and in PPR, I think wide receiver 47. Um, I do believe that DeAndre Hopkins is you know going to be the guy and have uh, just a ton of targets going his way. Larry Fitzgerald uh, is still, I think, you know, inexplicably going to get his targets. Uh, and then, you know, I don't want to stand too hard for Andy Isabella, but uh, he's someone who could progress. Um, I just don't think it's locked in that we see Christian Kirk, you know, be... I don't know. I mean, he's probably the number three receiver on the team, but like, what is that actually worth? I I would, I'm not all that enamored of him at number 39. You know, like I would rather have someone else. Got it. Yeah. For me, he's going to be a player where if he's available in that range, maybe I take him, but I don't think that I'm going to be that excited about it. Does he have the upside to outplay that ADP? Sure. 
Uh, but do I have any firm belief that there's a lot of upside? I, I don't at all. I think it's really hard to make a case that there's a tremendous amount of upside, barring any unforeseen circumstances that might arrive. Uh, and as we talk about DeAndre Hopkins, it just makes me want to chuckle one more time about the fact that um, the Texans <laughs> essentially get rid of Hopkins and then end up really not saving that much salary cap at all at the position. Um, just a really botched offseason for them. Yeah, absolutely. Although Brandon Cooks, I should say, I do think he is undervalued at uh, wide receiver 35. Um, you know, he had a down year last year, but one of the most productive wide receivers from, you know, 2015 to 2018 had over or like almost 1200 yards each season, um, you know, from scrimmage, different quarterbacks throughout that time, three different teams. And now he's going to a quarterback who's also, you know, very good at throwing the ball and a ton of targets are there, you know, vacated by DeAndre Hopkins. So, I mean, obviously horrible situation for DeAndre Hopkins uh, and for the Texans in that, uh, you know, they lost one of the best wide receivers in the game. But it's not to say Brandon Cooks is going to replace what they are losing. But from a fantasy perspective, Cooks as the wide receiver 35 has a lot of upside. Okay, let's talk about that quickly. Um, If you have to assign a percentage of the likelihood that Brandon Cooks can finish as a wide receiver two in 2020, what would you set that percentage at? The wide receiver two. Um, so all he's got to do 30%, is get to 30%. Okay. 30%, maybe a little bit more, 35%, 40%. Okay. So somewhere between a 30 to 40% chance that he can make it to be the wide receiver 24 or better. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for him, one of the bigger questions, and and this would get to the point of uh, like per game or for the season, like he has had to deal with injuries. And so that is one of the big reasons I think that he's discounted at this point. People are just kind of concerned about the concussions, whether he actually plays a full season. But if he plays a full season, it's hard to imagine him not having a thousand yards received. See, this is one of those really tricky things that it goes back to, which is which way should we actually be talking about things and we're writing articles which way should we actually be going i think points per game is easier to talk about because it is a more concrete type of thing you don't have to factor in all of these unknowns but at the same time you do have an interesting conversation of if you have a player that averages 20 points per game but can only play five is he better for your team than a player that plays all 16 and averages 15 points per game maybe not um I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but that's kind of my my quick little take on the yeah, situation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big question. I tend to think uh, not in points per game. I tend to think on like a per season basis because like we do need these guys out there for for the entire season, especially for stuff like best ball, and that that just kind of tends to be my mentality. Like I don't tend to think as much about. Um, you know, like the volatility of things like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to start this, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to know when I should start this guy. Like in general, I'm just trying to get production regardless of whether it's volatile or not. And like just like production over the course of a season. Yeah, that I think makes a lot of sense. Now, an interesting thing that you said in there that I want you to talk a little bit about, because I think that people might find it counterintuitive. You were talking about in best ball in the 
play a player's health in best ball. I could see people thinking that it's more okay in best ball to draft players with injury history because if they get hurt, it might not be as as impactful on their team uh, because that player might not have been contributing anyway. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I get that um, because at a certain point, like if a guy doesn't have a like top thirty six or top forty week. Like he's not going to be optimized into your lineup anyway. So I do get that. But in order for him to have a shot at, at contributing, like he has to be active. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, just because there's so much attrition throughout the season, like there is value to having guys who are at least playing the game. Uh, and so, like, I do want guys who are going to be out there, you know, hopefully the majority of the season, if not all of the games. Yeah, a simplistic way to think about this, and this is kind of taking it to the extreme, but it might help get at some of the thought process there. If you had two teams, a best ball team and a standard redraft team where you could play the waiver wire, and you have to pick one of those teams to have all of its players get injured, which would you prefer? You'd prefer to be the team where you could play the waiver wire because you're still going, you know, in a vacuum, all things equal between the two leagues. In that league where you can play the waiver wire, you can still uh, field a team despite those injuries. So an extreme example, but it might get at some of the logic there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.